You don't like flying, do you? What gives you that idea? You want to know the secret to surviving air travel? After you get to where you're going, take off your shoes and your sock, and you walk around barefoot and make fists with your toes. Fists with your toes? I know, I know, it sounds crazy, but trust me, I've been doing it for like a year. Better than a shower and a hot cup of coffee. Dude, what in the hell are you talking about? Is that going to make me like a foot and a half shorter? I'm six foot six inches tall and I'm stuffed into the small ass seat in economy. Whoa, wait, what, what is that? Are you packing? Dude, how did you get through security with that? Uh, relax, dude, it's my microphone. It's okay. I'm a podcaster. Trust me. I've been doing it for almost two years. congratulate each and every one of you for making this one of the greatest years in the history of the Nakatomi Corporation. On behalf of the Chief Executive Officer, Mr. Ozu, and the Board of Directors, we thank you one and all and wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Where is this Uber? This Takagi guy in Nakatomi International Podcast Festival really has some nerve. Dude, what? You got a free trip to Hollywood. And all we have to do is record a live episode in one of their booths. I mean, that's just it. Like, first they drag us all the way to L.A. at Christmas time. Normally I'd be stoked for that, but, like, they only covered half of our air travel. They aren't reimbursing our transport to the Nakatomi Plaza. And they're only putting us up for one night. I don't need a visa, I'm an American, but you were only granted like 24 hour access. So we have to head straight there, record the show, catch a couple of hours sleep before jumping back on a plane home. I never should have agreed to this. I mean, they have a London office. We could have just recorded there. There isn't even gonna be anybody watching us. It's a pandemic. There's not gonna be anyone live in the studio. Well, they are the biggest podcasting company in Japan. And that lady Holly said we were hit over there after that Captain Supermarket episode. We had to do it. And I knew we'd peak after that Bruce Campbell episode. <laughs> Look, all I know, and after the podcast festival, I'm going to go try and find Kevin Smith and Jason Mewden's handprint at ground. Good luck with that.
We are getting out. Good luck with this zero star rating I'm about to give you, buddy. Man, why do you always get in fights with these Uber drivers? Uh, man, dude, he intentionally pushed his seat back into my legs. Yeah, well, you insulted the music he was playing. Well, he shouldn't have been playing it. You gotta let that go, man. Listen, Bob Dylan's Christmas album is an insult to Christmas music and just music in general. I will die on this hill. Let it go. He freaking produced it himself under the pseudonym Jack Frost. It makes me so angry. <sighs> Let's just go in. Hi. I'm looking for. Um, oh, Janeiro. Yeah. This must be John. Joe Takagi. Hi. How was the ride in? Nice. I have you to think for that. Seems the least we could do. Hmm. It's quite a place you have here. It will be if we ever get it finished. There's still several floors under construction. Polly went to the vault room to fax some documents. She should be back any minute. In the meanwhile, her office is right back here. Cool. Thanks. Let's go, Phil. Hey, Holly. Uh, it's nice to finally meet you in person. Have you met everyone? Oh, I've been sticking him with spears. <laughs> of course he has. Hmm. She was made for the business. Tough as new. Cool. I was hoping you made that flight. Yeah, of course. It was mostly free. Uh, should we get started? Sure. This is grand. We came all this way here and there isn't any extra equipment or producers. Just a room and a Wi-Fi connection to go live. <sighs> Good thing I brought my mics in my laptop. Maybe you were right. We could have stayed in London for this. Anyway, well, let's get this done. I want to see those handprints before it's dark. All right. Well, here we go. And we are recording. Dude. What's going on? Did you pre-program gunshot down? No, I think that's like actually happening. Wait. Oh shit, the live feed's been cut. Right, I'll stick my head out and see what's going on. Dude, there are guys out here with guns. Hide under the table, one of them's coming. Oh man, what the fuck? Looks like he didn't notice us. I mean, he looked right at me when he walked away. I'm just gonna poke my head out and get him to see what's up. Ah oh, man, dude, they have everyone down the main hall just pointing guns at him. Alright, so I, I guess I'll just lock this door. There's a bunch of couches here. Let's just barricade the door with these couches. And now what? Should we call the cops? I don't have service here, man. It's like, you know, this is America. <laughs> they don't have Vodafone here. Oh, uh, true. And it looks like they cut the lines to the landline phone as well. So what do you want to do? I mean, we are in the studio. <laughs> the live feed is down. So no live episode. But uh, I don't know. Should we just record the episode we were going to do and just release it on our own feed when we get home? Yeah, that is the sort of thing we would do in this situation.
Welcome to the Pond Charles Cinecast. Presented by the Prince Charles Cinema, this is your host, Jonathan Foster, and I am here today with my Nakatomi boy, <laughs> Phil. What's up, Phil? How you doing, hey. man? <laughs> What's up? Going, going good. You know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Yes. That, that's what it is. That's what we're talking about. I'm fine. It is the most wonderful time of the year. I mean, we're having a great time. <laughs> if you couldn't tell. Uh, we're in Los Angeles, surprisingly, for this. Uh, luckily, the lockdown was lifted, and we were, you know, swooped up to uh, check out this Nakatomi podcasting festival, and uh, things aren't really turning out to be what, you know, was promised, but uh, we will persevere. We will continue to record this episode on our own time and uh, we'll just release it to all you guys. So you're hearing this on our usual slot. I mean, this would have been something I think that probably wouldn't even have gone to you. It might've just gone to Japan, Um, but you're lucky. Consider yourself lucky listeners that you're getting this content because it is a doozy today. So exactly. Um, It's weird though. Uh, LA looked a lot like um, London. Yeah. (laughs) And it's really cold and dark. It's really cold. It's dark. It's, it's kind of foggy. I I, I mean, I knew there was smog here, but I think maybe it was just those wildfires and stuff. Like really just kind of gloomy looking out. (laughs) Yeah. I thought smog was only a thing that happened like around the orchard when people accept awards and stuff, but (laughs) all year round. Yeah, apparently. But yeah, I mean, other than that, we're doing all right this week on the podcast. eh? like we're just, you know, ducking when the gunfire comes and, uh, you know, just keep on recording because the show must go exactly, on. Exactly. Like you, like you would normally do. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what everyone else's attitude. Pandemic. Yeah. Show must go on. Show must go on. People, people need their virtual concert. Jobs. Yes. You can't, can't stop take that from thinking it's going to happen whether we want it or not, whether anyone asked for it or not. And that's just like the podcast. Yes, very much so. And it's like, whether you want it or not, it's going to keep coming. And it's actually going to become more normal that you're just going to keep getting things that you never asked for. Mm. But some things that you might have asked for was the reopening of the Prince Charles Cinema. And we're back, baby. (laughs) We're officially back open for business at the PCC. Now, what I'm going to need to do right now is I need to consult with someone from the future. His name is Phil of the future. <laughs> Phil, Phil, it's the boy of the 21st century. Phil, Phil, <laughs> future Phil. God, that's an awful theme song. If I may uh, pull you from the future and into our past timeline where the cinema is open as a recording of this, but you have not yet gone back to the cinema. We're in LA right now. I mean, so you, you haven't gone back yet. Yeah. I'm on a little vacay before work, you know, you're going to be there tomorrow. When we get back, you just immediately go back to work. So yeah. How, how is uh future Phil? How's work going? How's it, how's it being back? <laughs> <laughs> work is great. You know, it's good to be open again and, invite people back into our weird little world exactly people loving it people loving the theater system people loving the christmas program people loving mank people watching it multiple times yes dude yes it's going well yeah queen (laughs) and everyone who comes in said yes um it's good i mean 
back to normal, which it nice. That's the nice feeling. It always just oh, I remember this. It's all this build up and work never really changes. Exactly. Except so, for you know, it is slightly different. You know, there's masks involved. Slightly there's yeah. more social distancing, less seating, uh, less like overall yeah. Christmas excitement. But we're still having a lot of fun at Christmas time. Hey, let's get into what's going on this week at the Prince Charles Cinema from Friday, the 11th of December. And now, preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. My God, how is it December already? So, you know, (laughs) we're recording this. It's the 4th of December. This episode goes out on the 7th of December, Monday, Monday the 7th. I don't know time anymore, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, time. This comes out on Monday, which means there's still going to be plenty of screenings of Mank and Citizen Kane and Empire Strikes Back. But Hey, from Friday, there's even more. There's still screenings of Mank, Citizen Kane and Empire Strikes Back. Now you want to get your tickets to see these films particularly things like make because hey it's probably got a short lifespan seeing it's a netflix film it will only be in cinemas for a select amount of time we'll see don't really know if that will get extended into the new year but don't know mm-hmm. but something like citizen kane now that that's something that uh just goes nice hand in hand with make but something like empire strikes back now that probably won't be back in the new year so definitely go see it there's a few more opportunities throughout the month of december Go check it out. Uh, Phil's wrapping a Star Wars hoodie right now as well, uh, which is I'm always very cool. The OG <laughs> trilogy. <laughs> so yeah, go see Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back. There's not many opportunities like that to see something like a, a film like that at the Prince Charles Cinema. We talked about it when we were doing mm-hmm. our Star Wars episodes. Star Wars is a rare, rare, rare sight at the Prince Charles Cinema. So don't know when it will be back. Uh, what else do we have this week? We have George Clooney's new apocalyptic sci-fi drama, The Midnight Sky, coming from mm. Friday all week long. Actually, really excited for that. Yeah, it's his uh, first film since 2017, Suburbicon, I think, and then his first on-screen role since 2016. So, yeah, it's been a while. George Clooney's back. He's both acting and directing. Uh, looks very interesting. He's apparently taken a little bit of inspiration from, you know, his time with gravity, you know, so I don't know. I've not seen much about anyone who has seen it yet because it is pretty new, pretty fresh. So I've just seen his majestic beard. Yeah. Um, And that's enough. That's enough for me. I'm an easy audience. Yes. Is George Clooney getting wrapped back into the whole like uh, Flashpoint saga thing with Batman and all that? Because I want to see Holy that. shit. I want to see that. No. They fucking should, though. Yeah. They really should. He deserves better. Justice for George Clooney Batman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got all these like other Batman coming back. Like, why not him? <laughs> like, I want to see it. I'm down. Yeah. I'm totally down for that. Well, we also have a bunch of Christmas classics. Maybe that'll be a Christmas wish. You know, George Clooney back in the Batman universe. That'd be great. Maybe, but, yeah, maybe that's what the monolith would show me. <laughs> like an old George Clooney and Batman. But, there we go. It's like big, it's like all grayed out, but the nipples are still there. That's what I want for Christmas. Uh, that's what I want for Christmas so bad. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to oh. write Santa right now. <laughs> Just that announcement. 
there's a bunch of Christmas classics coming uh, all week long. For instance, like we said last week, you got the Muppet Christmas Carol. Elf starts this week. We've also got It's a Wonderful Life screening all week long. There's a few more screenings, I think, of Home Alone popping in and there, in and out, here and there. Uh, let's go through a couple of little picks throughout the week. We got Saturday afternoon, Bean Crosby musical White Christmas. Sunday night, we got Tim Burton, Henry Selick's The Nightmare Before Christmas. We got Monday, Billy Wilder's The Apartment. Great movie. And then you can also make your own double feature with Home Alone and Home Alone 2. Tickets are sold separately, so yeah, create your own double feature. Tuesday, a very Harold and Kumar Christmas. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The alternate one. <laughs> Wednesday, we got Gremlins. Thursday, we got the Seth Rogen, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Anthony Mackie, in case you didn't have enough uh, stoner comedy on Christmas. It's the night before, which is hilarious. If you've not seen it, definitely check it out. It's super fun. Oh, it's a great movie. And plus, on Thursday night, we also have Todd Haynes' LGBTQ plus classic, Carol, starring Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. Screening from 35 millimeter. So it's some good stuff coming up this week. But Phil, kicking off from Friday. What are we doing? Showing from 70 millimeter until like the 15th of December. And then it'll be showing from 35 millimeter throughout, you know, a little bit more December into January. A film oddly similar to the stupid situation we found ourselves in for this episode here at this stupid podcasting festival in Los Angeles with gunfire, screaming, explosions going on behind us as we're trying to talk. It's very, very mm. disruptive. Almost a difficult plan. Yes. It's our top pick of this week. Get it? Topic? Top, top pick? Top pick? Hot topic? What is it, though? <laughs> D hard. <laughs> D hard. D. <laughs> D hard. <laughs> D hard. Die hard. Die hard. 1.9. This is John. Nice bear. He just wants to spend Christmas with the family. Is Daddy coming home with you? We'll see what Santa and Mommy can do. But when he gets stuck at the office party, Merry Christmas. It'll be a holiday. Merry Christmas. He'll never forget. Oh, oh. Welcome to the party, pal! This Christmas. It's a time of miracles, so be of good cheer. Only John can drive somebody that crazy. Get ready to jingle some bells and deck the halls with bows of Bruce Willis. Mother the coast, we get together, have a few laughs. Alan Rickman. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? yippee ki mother. Together in the greatest Christmas story ever told. I got some bad news for you, Dwayne. <laughs> Hans. Booby. Eat it, Harvey. Yeah! Holy shit. I'm starting to get a bad feeling up here. Yeah! Merry Christmas. Die Hard. This is their idea of Christmas. I gotta be here for New Year's. 40 Stories of Sheer Adventure. Cinema's jolliest hero, Bruce Willis, stars as John McClane, a New York City cop who travels to Los Angeles to visit his estranged wife. After joining her at her work party at the Nakatomi Plaza, whoa, 
that's oddly familiar, Phil. The mm. festivities are interrupted by a group of terrorists, also familiar, who said they were terrorists, <laughs> led by Alan Rickman <laughs> as Hans Gruber, who take the building and everybody in it hostage while attempting a very lucrative heist. With the LAPD and the FBI stuck outside, it is up to John McClane to save Christmas single-handedly by taking down the terrorists one by one on the inside. It is the 1988 action classic from director John McTiernan, who brought us other classics such as, uh, you know, Predator, The Hunt for Red October. How can you hunt a month? If anything, it's an orange October, right? Come on, Halloween. (laughs) Last action hero. Die Hard with a Vengeance and Rollerball. Wait, OG Rollerball or Remake Rollerball? The Jimmy Khan Rollerball or the guy from American Pie Rollerball? The guy from American Pie. (laughs) Oh, dude, really? Yes. Fuck. Never mind. He was not such a trick. Hot takes out the gate, Phil. Where are we at? (laughs) Where are we at? Where are we at with Die Hard? And is it a Christmas movie? <laughs> uh, I knew you were going to whip that out. Of course it's a fucking Christmas movie. I can't believe you would argue otherwise. Like, yes. Um, I mean, he's not saving Christmas, but what? It's a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie. Yeah, no, you agree with me. It's a Christmas movie. Even Dusty agreed. Yes. I don't know why anyone would say it's, a, it's not a Christmas movie. It's, it's the soundtrack is musical. The whole thing is like about upholding the spirit of Christmas and about reuniting a broken family. In mm-hmm. the end, there's just a lot of shooting in between. Um, I can say doesn't like it's not like Santa literally saving Christmas. It's not that on the nose, but you know, I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> is it a Christmas movie? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And it, yeah. I mean, great. It's one of the greatest action movies ever made. Like, I'm not. I can't pretend uh i have a, a hotter take other than that um, yeah and i've watched it so many times at the cinema but it's one actually i don't get tired of watching even though it's pretty yeah. long yeah it is kind of like long. you forget how but long it is when you're watching it at the cinema like I'll, I'll go ahead and jump on like i it's one of the most fun things at the cinema like i've seen it a couple oh, of times now yeah, at the man. cinema as well uh, particularly in 70 millimeter. I'll probably scream more about that towards the end of this episode of why you should see it on 70 millimeter. But anyway, it's great. It sounds awesome. It looks awesome. And the audience, like it's one of those situations where the audience just makes it a lot more fun. Like when you they, get yeah, a they room applaud full of people, and they cheer. Yeah, they're so fucking pumped for it. They're like cheering. And I know sometimes that can be annoying with certain films, but I think mm, certain films like an Arnie all nighter. Yeah, but I mean, even so, like those films lend themselves to have that sort of reaction from the audience. It's, I don't know. There's sure, like sure. there's certain films that don't really lend themselves to have like audiences trying to make it something that it's not like things that aren't really like you know a boisterous fun time. Like I yeah, went like to Schindler's see List. yeah Schindler's List. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, I went to see Lars and the Real Girl, and there was people that were just like heckling and laughing throughout that no. whole thing. I'm like, this guy is having a mental breakdown. <laughs> breakdown, like. Chill out, man. It's, a it's good not movie. funny. Fight me. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. really good movie. I love it. It isn't fun. It's kind of sad. Yeah, there are some funny bits. I'll I'll give you that, but it's not something to like <laughs> be like making fun of. But anyway, uh, I about. I think Die Hard though is like it's borderline like like it's borderline perfect as far as like 
you know, just a fun film. I'm not, I don't know if I want to go far as to say, like, as far to say that it is perfect, but I will say it is probably one of the best action films of all time, just like on how, how it was crafted. Um, and just like the way it delivers and just like the feeling you get when you're watching it, how fun it is and just how like the story just really hits. I feel like, you know, there's some elements to it that are just like are really fun because it does have that heist element to it, which I fucking love. And then there's John love the heist movie. I love a heist movie. If you, if you want an idea for Christmas present, get him a heist. <laughs> just put me in a heist movie. Put me in a heist. I fucking love it. Just I'll be the comic relief. Heist me. Whatever you want to do. Heist me, bro. <laughs> Try to heist me. But without yeah. me noticing. Can you heist me without me noticing that you've heisted me? Christmas yeah, bro. Cl- chloroform. <laughs> just slowly drag you dragging out of me house. out of my house you wake up in a van you'll be like oh dude it, i did it <laughs> they got me you fucking they got, got me, me. <laughs> you got you got me yeah. <laughs> oh, it's probably just like the guys who took down the monolith in california <laughs> <laughs> listen to breadcrumbs you wake up on top of the monolith <laughs> Listen to breadcrumbs if you want to learn more about monoliths and how stupid people are. Go for it. Comes out Wednesday. <laughs> breadcrumbs. Out. <laughs> Available at all good podcast retailing. Yes. Yeah, anyway, I think I think this film is badass. I mean, the whole thing about it being a Christmas movie, it's silly. I mean, of course it's a Christmas movie. It's not what like, more do you want? It's not like a oh, it's not a traditional Christmas film. I get it. Like oh, it's not, oh, it's it doesn't have the whole thing about Santa. It's like is any Christmas film really a like you can make your own mind up? There's about only what a, a Christmas few. Film is. Like it's a Wonderful Life in a Christmas movie. It's not the though. ultimate Christmas. Movie. I think if you want to, it's not. I want to. I want to say this clearly. If you if you want to say that it's a Wonderful Life is a Christmas movie, then you have to say Die Hard is because if Die Hard isn't, yeah. then it's a Wonderful Life can't be because it's really not about Christmas. It's about some stupid guy's about to kill himself, and then he decides <laughs> that he's not, not going to after an a you know an angel comes and convinces him that is. I mean, that has nothing to do with Christmas, except for all the things that we say have to do with Christmas about Christmas spirit and blah 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 with family and all that, and, and that's the, the same thing. Yeah. yeah. It in, it's yeah. the same thing with Die Hard. So. Because then you could only count like Elf and like Santa Claus the movie and like. <laughs> the Santa Claus. <laughs> the Santa Claus and yeah. like, I don't know, the Christmas Chronicle. What yeah. else? That's it. And then that's really short list. That's no fun. Yes. So. So yes, this is a. It's a Christmas. A really good Christmas movie. It's wrapped in Christmas, dude. It starts with Christmas <laughs> in Hollis. You can't. Yes. You can't, after that, you can't <laughs> escape it. It got all like the musical undertone. And, but at the very least, if you don't want to call it a Christmas movie or a perfect movie, it's a pretty perfect action movie. It's like yes. this and like T2 are like the ones I think of that like transcend the genre. And it's not just like, I mean, I love action movies, but most action movies, you have to turn your brain off and just enjoy, like, on yeah. a purely cinematic spectacle level right of people getting their fucking head kicked in or whatever <laughs> but the story, like you're what you're you're doing the fast and furious movie that's a great example compare that yes. to a diehard movie that had all this stuff bumbling underneath it um it got emotion it got an actual like family dynamic you care about because it feels realistic and um difficult in ways that real life is and john mcclain is the everyman i mean everyone has yeah. like talked about it but it had in the age of Rambo and, you know, 
fucking Arnie, like in Predator and shit. Um, like the huge action man hit like a, a normal looking guy. He's like a cop from New York, joking, always in and over his head, gets an art kicked most of the movie. But yeah. He saved the day. Yeah. And that, that, if that's not Christmas, I don't know what it is. <laughs> so I made my point eventually. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> so Die Hard is actually based on the novel Nothing Lasts Forever by a man named Roderick Thorpe, which is actually a sequel to Thorpe's 1966 best-selling novel, The Detective. Die Hard is a way better title than either of those. Yes. So The Detective follows NYPD detective Joe Leland, who is pretty much like the prototype for what became John McClane. And was adapted into the 1968 neo noir film of the same name, starring Frank Sinatra. Oh, the better. Yeah. So the detective is actually notable for being one of the first movies to take like a really realistic approach on police movies. Other, like you know, other than the other Hollywood films out there that would just be a little bit more bumbly and cartoon like, like the road cop movie. Don't yeah. Worry, so Sinatra actually approached Thorpe to write the sequel. But Thorpe didn't want it to be the same sort of story that the detective was. And it took him quite a while to develop it. And he eventually got the idea for Nothing Lasts Forever after falling asleep watching the 1974 disaster film The Towering Inferno, starring Paul Newman and Steve McQueen. Oh, yeah. Steve McQueen flick, yeah. yeah. And he was dreaming of a man being chased through a skyscraper by men with guns. So that's sort of like where that all came from. The story of Nothing Lasts Forever. It's somewhat similar to like what Die Hard became. Like, have you ever read the book Nothing Lasts Forever? No. Or do you know like what the story is really about? I've I, I've looked into it. Um, I, I looked into it for this, the difference yeah. between the book and the movie, and I've already forgotten. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'll just say it's somewhat similar to Die Hard, but it's he's retired detective. Joe Leland's going out to Los Angeles to see his daughter and his grandchildren instead of a wife. Uh, when the, like, basically the large corporation company, like the corporate building that she works in is taken over by German terrorists. So that part's kind of similar. And like with John McClane, he proceeds to take them all out one by one. But there are some other differences as the film was like, you know, they adapted this film be standalone from the novel they didn't really want it to be connected so much to like the detective and all that i'll basically leave you guys here with the changes there i mean if you want to seek out you can read about this because obviously if i tell you too much maybe it'll kind of spoil it and i feel like there it's enough of like a different story that you might like die hard enough or in like reading enough that you like the idea of nothing lasts forever there are some similar elements um I don't know if you want to read about some six-year-old dude dropping his daughter off of a skyscraper and feeling really bitter and remorseful at the end. So, I mean, that's where I'm going to leave you. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I'm totally leaving that in as well because I'm an asshole and I just spoiled the ending of that book. <laughs> but it's nothing, but the real question is, it's nothing not forever a Christmas book. <laughs> it did take place at Christmas time, so... Son of a bitch, there you go. Yeah. Mayday, mayday. Anyone copying Channel 9? Oh. What is that sound? Do you hear that? Oh, yeah, man. I think it's just coming. 
attention, that's, whoever I mean, that's you where are, we're at. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. This is like just some interference through my microphone, it seems. They have already killed one hostage. They are fortifying Ooh. their positions while you're jerking me off on a radio. Now send a police. Sir, I've already told you. This is a reserved wow, sounds channel. like a war zone out if there. If this Phil. is an emergency call, yeah. dial 911 on your telephone. Otherwise, I'll have to report this as an FCC violation. Fine. Report me. Come the oh. fuck down here and arrest me. Just send the police now. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Whoa. What are we doing? Man, I don't know what's going on, dude. Maybe we should just keep recording, you know. Yeah. I mean, Die Hard became its own beast. That's so strange. It was based off the second book. Were there other books? Is there like a third, fourth, whatever? I did not read that there were others. I'm not really sure. But I mean, as far as I know, it was just those two. So but I could be wrong. So weird. It adapted from the second book in a series and then became its own weird series with its own history. And yeah. Lots of ups and downs. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, ask, I'll ask you at the end when we've yeah, done when we're this rapping, one. Yeah. I, I want to know. That I want to talk about the sordid history. Of <laughs> God damn. Yeah. Well, the development of the diehard that we know it properly as began back in 1987 as tennis pro turned struggling writer Jeb Stewart was looking for some work and he met Lloyd Levin through his agent. Lloyd Levin was the head of development at Gordon Company, which was like a producing arm for 20th Century Fox. And Fox had produced the Sinatra-led The Detective film back in the 60s. And Levin had been working really hard for a long time trying to get the sequel Nothing Lasts Forever off the ground for a while. So Lloyd Levin gave Jeb Stewart creative freedom as long as he kept Christmas. See, here we go. Christmas in Los Angeles setting. And the film was pitched to him as Rambo in an office building. (laughs) I mean, it never ends, doesn't it? It's like Rambo in a thing. And then like Alien and George in space. And now everything is Die Hard, but, you know, even Die Hard 2. It's Die Hard, but in an airport. (laughs) Die Hard. On a bus. Yeah, speed. Even, you know, or like it's Die Hard, but in a skyscraper, but it's The Rock. <laughs> and we're going to call it Skyscraper. Skyscraper. Oh, and he got fake like, and they're like, oh shit, groundbreaking. So different. So different. <laughs> yeah. So different. Oh my God, how brave. He played a disabled character. <laughs> I wonder if that's intentional because we'll get to that, but uh, there's some fake stuff going on in this film. Oh, Jeb read the novel and he had a a really hard time trying to figure out how to adapt it into a movie. He said the writing process was like really incredibly stressful for him and he worked long hours trying to crack it. And this resulted in some marital spats with his wife because he would come home really late. He had to drive like really far to get to the office. He'd be there all day stressing out, come home, uh, basically just eat dinner, see his kids for a few minutes, go to sleep and then do the same thing over and over. And it's a lot of fights. (laughs) One night after the fight with his wife, he ended up just going for a drive and he was driving down the highway and he was just really wrapped up in his thoughts and he was trying to think about how he should apologize to his wife. He realized that he was wrong and she was right and he just needed to apologize. And all of a sudden he noticed all these cars in his lanes started changing lanes because there was a large refrigerator box in the middle of the road. And before he could change lanes, it was too late. He slammed into the box going 65 miles per hour. Luckily, luckily it was empty. And oh, good. in that moment, he knew that the story for Nothing Lasts Forever was about 
not a guy who's 60 year old years old, you know, accidentally killing his daughter, dropping her off a building. It's a story of reconciliation about how a 30 year old guy dropped his daughter off a building <laughs> <laughs> or sticked her in a fridge. <laughs> uh, it's about a 30 year old guy who should have said sorry to his wife. So that night he wrote the first 25 pages and in four weeks he had finished the script and it was greenlit for development. <laughs> do I mean, man, it's, it's smaller, it's personal, it's relatable. And most movies forget, forget, not even action, most movies forget to get that bit. Right? Yeah. You just need one connective thing and it works. If that doesn't work, rest of the movie doesn't work. Absolutely. It's like Rocky had a lot of shit going on, but that love story has to work for the rest of the yeah, movie to work. Yeah, yeah. Same thing with Die Hard. Yeah. So wow. writers out there, if you're in a writer's writer's block sort of scenario, just go get a big fucking box, put it out in the middle of a highway, and then just drive down the highway at like... Oh, one second. I'm trying to record! Turn that off! Dude, shut up. What are you doing? Like, don't tell them. We're safe in here somehow. Would you guys shut up, please? Stop interfering in our podcast. I can't hear me. Yeah. Wax Tony and Marco and his friends here. I figured you and Carl and Franco might be a little lonely, so I wanted to give you a call. Who is this Very guy? kind of you. As if you are our mysterious party creation. You are most troublesome for a security guard. <laughs> Sorry, Hans, wrong guess. <laughs> Holy shit. He's just talking shit to him. This is great. That's great. Yeah, I'm still here. It sounds like the guy who called the police earlier. Yeah. I'm afraid not. But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Mm. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture. Hitting close to home. John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee guy, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that'll come back. Anyway, it sounds pretty interesting <laughs> out there. Um but yeah, anyway, I was gonna say if you're if you're a writer out there, you're struggling with uh writer's block, you know, just just get a big Call it the major road accident. Just, yeah, just get a big box, put it out in the middle of a road and just drive into it. And I'm sure something will. I'm sure something will pop yeah. into your head. That's what Tom Cruise does. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he said something like that, right? But <laughs> he's like, you know, something happened, and you know, nobody can do anything. But I'm going to do something. I like, you know, I like to throw, you know, rocks in the street and you know, see what happens. Something, <laughs> something like that. I might be misremembering. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he intentionally coordinated. Um, accident so he can save them and be a hero. That is what I'm saying about Tom Cruise. Um, he, he got like a syndrome thing about him, you know? Yeah. What's it called? I don't know what I'm talking about. Please stop me. <laughs> I, I just sort of like lost train of thought and I was thinking about like, is that like Munchausen by proxy? Is that what it's called? Like where you, you intentionally like make people sick in order to like to, in order to save them but like this is like a weird sort of munchausen syndrome sort of maybe so lawrence gordon and joel silver served as producers and they were responsible for changing the name to die hard from nothing last forever thank god 
it was changed to Die Hard. Nothing lasts forever. It's not like a shitty Bond movie. <laughs> yeah, it really does. After RoboCop director Paul Verhoeven turned down the project, oh my, they really wanted Verhoeven to be a oh part of my. it. Oh my, what could have been? Yeah, Gordon and Silver approached director John McTiernan because they worked with him on 1987's Predator. And they really enjoyed what he did. Bang on. So he turned it down numerous times. He just really didn't want to do another, like, well, he just didn't want to do a terrorist movie. He just kept turning it down over and over. He finally relented, but only if they could add some fun to the film, because he just really didn't find the original script to be very fun. So some more work was done on the script work that would continue to be done throughout filming. <laughs> it's one of those films. Uh, it's one of those on the fly. movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He wanted more fun in the script, so they're like, tell you what, we'll add a subplot about a cop shooting a child. Does that <laughs> yeah. work? And he's like, yes, I'm down. <laughs> that bit's weird. That bit always, always rubbed me the wrong I way. I somehow always forget about it, and I think the climate of this year has really like stuck with me now. Yeah. And that like, I was just like, Ooh, it's hard. Ooh. It's hard to watch a movie now with an arc of a character and a cop learning to shoot again. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? can't shoot God because damn. he shot a young child who yeah, had a child. fake gun. Yeah. Uh, Too real, bro. Too real. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> All right. So let's get into the cast. Uh, Bruce Willis is John McClane. Obviously, we've already said that. We know. Oh, John. John, John McClane. John. I hope that doesn't cause any confusion down the yeah, line. I really hope that doesn't cause any confusion. The role was, you know, out of respect, it was actually offered to Frank Sinatra, who starred in The Detective. But no, by this point, he was way too old. I mean, he was in his 70s and he turned it down. Thank God. That's like Adam West wanting to be in Tim Burton's Batman. And you're like, dude, dude, mad respect. But we're trying to do something a little yeah. different. <laughs> so next it was offered to all the usual suspects. I'm pretty sure last week's episodes where we were talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sly Stallone, there was a little bit of that little, you know, oh, if you don't do it, then Arnie's going to do it. If you don't do it, Sly's going to do it going on. Because they were both offered the role. As well as guys like Robert De Niro, Richard Gere, Ooh. Clint Eastwood. Apparently Eastwood was one of the first people who was offered the role. Uh, and I think it was written sort of with him in mind. Really? He, Eastwood is joyless. <laughs> <laughs> he apparently was looking to adapt the film in the 80s I read somewhere as well. I don't know how true that is. Because this has been floating around for a, a long time. Uh, but he turned it down because he speaking. It's funny that you would say joyless. He just said that he kind of didn't really get it. There was no fun. <laughs> yeah. Cause dirty Harry's fun running around shooting brown people. That's way fun. Harrison Ford was offered the role. Burt Reynolds, Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson, Don Johnson, MacGyver star, Ooh, Richard Dean Anderson, Paul Newman, James Caan. Not bad. Wrecking crew. Basically anyone who wasn't Bruce Willis was offered this role. <laughs> well, Bruce Willis was a sitcom guy. Yeah, right? he was. Time, TV guy. Yeah. So Schwarzenegger particularly didn't want to do it because he wanted to turn his career more towards comedy. So he would go on to make twins. And it was just, it just kind of kept falling like that where it just, 
people were doing other things or didn't want to do it, whatever it was. Bruce Willis, yeah, he was known at this time as being a romantic comedy guy on the TV show Moonlighting. And producers didn't dislike him. They just didn't really see him as John McClane. No one did. His agent, Arnold Rifkin, pitched really hard for Bruce Willis and ended up getting him the role at the tune of a $5 million salary. Which, at the time, made Bruce Willis the highest paid film actor. This is before $20 million Club really happened. So it was like, it turned some heads. It was major shockwaves in Hollywood. It's like his first big movie. I mean, he's worth every penny. Absolutely. In this movie. He is. This is his best movie. Yes. It's easily his best movie. It's like, you know, most people aren't lucky enough to have that one vehicle that showcases everything they're good at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As an actor. And this is it for Bruce Willis. Everything you want one before he got shitty like i i understand bruce willis is like he's he's kind of a weird person i mean he's the one who kind of started the whole like die hard's not a christmas movie like it's always been there but he's the one who really like Mm. he said it on his roast or whatever and but he also started a music career under the name bruno and if and nobody would know it (laughs) chris gaines (laughs) yeah what the fuck (laughs) but i mean i i don't really i don't i don't really get like his him sometimes but at the same time i really kind of just really like bruce willis like he like especially in this film like you said he just hits all the notes when he's trying he's he's so good in this movie and like it works so well just him being in the role like i think it would have been fun if it was arnie or something like that but or sly but it sure. would have been sort of kind of everything about this film that like makes it so special, like would have not been there. And I think it is just the fact that John McClane is an everyman that Bruce Willis is the embodiment of that everyman, And he can easily just kind of fit into mm-hmm. this and be the guy to be like, anyone could see themselves in that role that you're just kind of there. I mean, yes, he does have some certain training. He's a police officer. So he obviously like can shoot, he can, he handle, can, a gun, he can handle a gun. You know? He can, he's fit. He's in shape. He can climb around in ventilator. He shafts. can point out a fake ID, he can point out a fake ID. <laughs> you know, he, he, he could be a fucking bartender, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just, it works so well. He just like, it just, I don't know. I just really like him. Uh, you know, it calls a lot of, shockwaves in Hollywood, him getting a $5 million salary. You know, some people were saying that the studio was just really desperate and failing to get so many big names. So they just offered him 5 million. His agent sort of put it as like, it was a big gamble for him because he had already had a couple of flops and this film could easily be a flop. So it's sort of like, Hey, at least he can walk away with 5 million and you need a star for this film. So I think that's kind of actually how it Mm. went. So, yeah, I mean, Bruce Willis was signed up. He drew upon his like working class upbringing in South Jersey for the character, including that like attitude. Never, never forget. He came from Jersey. (laughs) He included that attitude and disrespect for authority, that gallows sense of humor, the reluctant hero. So that's sort of the whole vibe he had. And, uh, he filmed acting in the film to be pretty tough because he did most of his scenes alone. And he was just like talking to himself or like talking on the radio. And he didn't really see That's a lot of people. That's the best bit about the yeah. movie. It's him running around being like, what the fuck are you doing, John? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you should have stopped him, but then you'd you be there too, asshole. Yeah. Like him just going back and forth. I love it. Like on the radio, just chilling out, like having a smoke. Like the movie, I like movies that 
especially this one is very hectic. It takes the time to have a break. You sit and figure out, you know, and you crack a joke. Yeah. And, you know, talking about Roy Rogers and doing the cowboy stuff and, and, and then building his relationship with the cop and Rickman. It's just great. Yeah. Like, that's how good he is. He doesn't need anyone. Literally doesn't need anyone else in the team. He carried that whole movie. Yeah, I feel like this this role in particular definitely, like I'll get to a little bit more, there's a particular scene that influenced him to be cast in another film. But like, I feel like in this film, he he definitely, I mean, he definitely had to have just drawn the eye of so many directors who like were just like, oh man, I totally would like to work with him. Because if you think about like him and like, you know, Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, it's just like, it's, it's yeah. very much similar sort of vibes where he, he he's just like if he has the right director like with him and you know giving him or the right writer because you know I'll get to it but like the writer was really you know hands on and like kind of helping to you know direct mm-hmm. where characters were going to go and there was a lot of like free flowing and ad libbing and improv- improvisation and stuff in this film. And I feel like if you get the right person to like help tap into him, he can like really give a really great performance. Like in Pulp Fiction, you know, just him walking around making a fucking pop tart. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like little things like that, singing to himself in his car yeah. and just like weird sort of interactions. Yeah, it's just like I, I don't know, it's so good at the little yeah. moment. Like the 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 running joke in Die Hard that I really like is that he keeps. I mean, the movie has a great sense of space geography. He like you really get to know the layout of the yeah. building and he revisits a lot yeah. of Floyd. There's this one section that he keeps going past where like, you know, the maintenance worker have stuck up nudie pictures. <laughs> yeah, he's on the wall. And every time he looks, <laughs> yeah. every time he passes, he does it like two or three yeah. times. And I always appreciate, I always think yeah. it's a really funny moment. And it's little stuff like that, like him walking around making pop types. Yeah. Like, yeah. I hear something. <laughs> Someone in the bathroom and he gets a shotgun. <laughs> it's just these little moments that like tie yeah. the whole thing. No, Bruce Willis is great when he had something he gives a shit about, like Fifth Element or fucking like Looper yeah. or fucking uh, Moonrise Kingdom. It's amazing yeah. in that. Or Disney's the, the kid. Like, the kid. <laughs> Dude. I actually really that, love, that shout. <laughs> love that Me movie. Me too. No, I think it's that's so a really sweet movie. But it's great. No, that's a great movie. Yeah. Well, he didn't spend much time with his castmates either because he was so isolated. I think he may have done that out of being Bruce Willis, who doesn't like to be too involved with people, or he was doing it because he, like he, was, he was like trying to be method. I don't really know. But anyway, he didn't really spend much time with them. Instead, he opted to hang out with his new partner. Who was it? Who was Bruce Willis with back then? Who do you think it was? Would you mean like dating? Yeah. Oh, who was Bruce Willis dating? A girl from Moonlighting? Nope. No. What? That was Sybil Shepherd. No. Cher. I wish. I wish. <laughs> no. Um, no. I mean, uh, I don't know that. Wait. A big partner that he had for many, many years linked to. Oh, Demi Moore. To, yeah, there you go. Demi Moore. <laughs> so yeah. he just started dating Demi Moore and he was just hanging out with her. Uh, no. All right. So his his wife in the film is Bonnie Badia, Holly Gennaro, John Mc... Uh, <laughs> Holly Gennaro, John McClane. Holly Gennaro McClane. I took it first and last name. <laughs> Holly Gennaro, John McClane. She was hired basically by suggestion of Bruce Willis after he saw her in Heart Like a Wheel. 
though I've also seen in one source that he disputes this and says that he that she had some hits and that he didn't think he was responsible for it at all because she was doing well on her own. Hmm. I don't know. She is fine in this film. I feel like there's it's one of those things where obviously they add in a lot of little bits and pieces with her uh, to develop her character because of Bruce Willis. And I'll get to that in a bit. But I mean, I, I, it's obviously like she's not in it much, really. So it's kind of like she's a woman in an 80s movie. Yeah. So yeah. She's not in it much. Yeah. But so the little she did, she's good. And yeah. they give her enough little moments, I think, because you need them for Bruce Willis' character to work even a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And you get you get a good at least you get a good sense of their relationship at the beginning and at the end. Um, I like her trying to take care of the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting and like tr- trying to hide her identity from mm-hmm. Han. That's some interesting stuff with her. But yeah, no, no, not nearly enough for someone. Yeah. He spent the whole movie trying to. Save. <laughs> yeah, any. You know, basically, well, basically, she she like gets to knock out the stupid slimy TV reporter at the end, so that's pretty good. <laughs> that guy who's just playing the same character he did in Ghostbusters, yes, who's just a dick. William Atherton, who plays Walter Peck in Ghostbusters, he's uh, Richard Thornburg, the slimy TV reporter. Dickless, Dickless. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he yeah. he's he's so good at that role, though. He's just like. Uh, he's such a very good yeah. piece of shit. Just like going to their house and trying to like speak to the kids. They me- never get to see their parents ever again. <laughs> yeah. like, he threatens the maid with deportation. Yeah. Like what the horrible piece of shit. Horrible. Yeah. No, he gets everything he deserves. I can't believe they bring him back. He's in the second Is one. Is he? Man, I haven't seen he's on Die the Hard plane with so Harley Janeiro. <laughs> really? Oh man, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> so we have Reginald Vell Johnson as LAPD Sergeant Al Powell. All right. So Legend. we've already talked about <laughs> Al Powell's character a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So he's a bit of a bumbling sort of police officer that appears to check out the big, you know, the, the, by this point we've, we've had the police. It's, it's like a fire alarm. There's a fire alarm going mm. off. They send out a, a cop to go check out the Nakatomi Plaza he realizes that, you know, there's not really anything going on. So he just decides to leave. And then <laughs> as he's leaving, Bruce Willis just <laughs> Bruce Willis. chucks a dead body out the window, which is land ridiculous. Right, right on, on the car. windshield. And as he starts to speed Good away, name. he starts to get lit up by some of the machine guns from some of the terrorists inside. So yeah. that, of course, now, turns, God damn it, now. <laughs> turns into the whole thing with the police coming and all that. I mean, I like this storyline of him just being outside and stuff. And obviously they added in the whole story of him being basically just like a desk clerk who like pushing papers and stuff Mm -hmm. who's left because he accidentally shot a kid. That whole side of the story. I kind of wish it wasn't (laughs) him now. I kind of wish it wasn't I love it. One of the things that just it's going to continue to age poorly. Yeah. But it, I guess it worked at the time when cops were still the good guys. I mean, this is LAPD and this is right before Rodney King. So I think maybe it was all right. Yeah. Um, but goddamn, yeah, it's a weird, it's really weird. And I like the, I like the actor, you know. I absolutely family man. love Reginald Bell Johnson. Love him. He's great yeah. in this, but it's so weird. 
<laughs> yeah. and, but I like him being the only cop who knows what's up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that sort of story. Like, and great. everyone else, like literally the FBI, Johnson and Johnson, <laughs> and the SWAT <laughs> team that show up, they just don't have a fucking clue yeah. what the hell is going on <laughs> or how to handle it. And I love that. And it's just him and McLean taking it down. Yeah, it's great. It's good. Well, he won out the role over the likes of people like Wesley Snipes. And this would be like his first major film Ooh. role. Like he really set himself up like for a career of portraying police officers in film and television. Uh, largely yeah. people will know him like Phil. You already him said him and Danny Glover. <laughs> yeah. You already said uh, he was officer Carl Winslow in family matters. Yeah. Uh, he also won the rollout over people like, Robert Duvall, Gene Hackman, and Lawrence Fishburne, who were all considered for a role. I don't know if they were considered taking it, but they were at least considered to, for the part. <laughs> Bell Johnson said that since the film, due to Al Powell's Twinkie obsession, people often give him Twinkies, saying like, oh, we knew you wanted some. <laughs> he said he's had people like literally just chuck it into Chucking Twinkies his him. car and stuff while he's just sitting there. It's like... That's pretty horrible. Shoved in his mailbox. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, he, anyway. he's like, I don't like Twinkie that much. You know what that means? Snack time. Snack time. Quarantine. Quarantine. Lockdown. Here we go again. Lockdown. I didn't go with a Twinkie. I should have got a Twinkie. I felt like I had done a Twinkie at some point. Yeah, did you? On the podcast? You might have. I feel like I did. I feel like I had a Twinkie fade. Okay. <laughs> During the first lockdown. Well, Phil, I just want um, to say... I don't... What is a Twinkie made of? <sighs> Sugar and rich flour, partially hydrogenated vegetable oil, polysorbate 60, and yellow dye number five. Just everything a growing boy needs. Convenient interference because I have a Twinkie today. Delicious. Julia Eat managed it. to get me a Twinkie. Eat it. How is it? You know what? It's actually better than I thought it was going to be. I love a Twinkie. I think it's so underrated. I always forget whether or not if I like a Twinkie or not. <laughs> this one's actually pretty Twinkie. good because it's like a little bit more moist. I sometimes like feel like I've had a Twinkie that's just not very like good. Like I think every salt yeah, you can get it a can bad. Be dry yeah. and stale, and they get they get stuck to the packaging, yeah. and it's not right. This one is pretty good. So actually, to be honest, because it kind of reminds me of a Christmas tree cake, and I kind of want one of those so bad right now. If anybody listens in America, <laughs> next, next week send me Christmas tree cakes, please. Uh, you can hit us up at the PCC podcast <laughs> on Twitter. You can DM me and uh, let me know that you're going to send me some and I'll give you my address because this is the kind of podcast that I am. I'll give you podcasts. And you give me Christmas tree cakes. You're willing to give your private address to people for a Christmas tree cake. <laughs> this is getting uh, five shards of glass in John McClane's foot out of me because it's very good today i'm very surprised wow. i thought i was going to be like oh i don't like this because sometimes i don't like a twinkie wow, <laughs> wow five shots in the glass yeah. i'm surprised he's even walking on that first yes. what i i did something a little you know we're talking cops yes and what's a classic cop snack 
donut. Donut, bitch. It's a classic sugar glazed donut. Did you get that from work? Fancy. No. Because <laughs> apparently <laughs> Ralph brought a <laughs> lot of donuts to work donut. for the first day. Thank you, Ralph. You lovely man. Thank you. I, I wasn't, wasn't there, so I, I wasn't didn't there. get any. So you had to bring some by my house. Exactly. So I just had to go to Sainsbury's and get some from the bakery section. <laughs> like, goddamn sucker. I'm going to take a bite. Mouth amazing. Looks good. Oh, my God. That's so good. That's actually really good. Oh. Again, better than I thought it'd be. I'm really glad that terrorist guy who came in here didn't notice that we had these snacks in here as well. Yeah. I managed to get my donut and coffee past them. Lucky. I just wrote a plot hole for myself into this episode, and I, you know, because I'm in America and I and I'm not going to pick up Christmas tree cakes. So you have <laughs> to um, send them to me still. I don't have time. Literally, we don't have time to go. I mean, Phil's got to go see these go. stupid handprints and stuff. So, I mean. <laughs> hey, it's one thing. I'm asking for one thing. How we many, get to do what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> How many shards of glass do you give your donut? I give it a four, four and a half. No, I'll give it. Yeah. Fuck it. Five. I give five, it five shards. Die Hard. There we yeah. go. Ten shards They're of five glass. Five Die Hard movie. In your ten. foot, John McClane. I tend, you know what? Could I tend donut or one of those things? I'm like, yeah, I definitely want a donut. And then I have a bite and I'm like, I'm sick of this. I don't want any more donuts. <laughs> I shouldn't have done this. It's a bad idea. <laughs> like pancake. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But this is going down well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm enjoying I'm, it. I'm going to eat the whole I thing. I kind of like this. Uh, this as well, to be honest. This Twinkie. I'm covered in sugar, though. Oh, it, it loses two imaginary points. <laughs> so I literally like started to read this whole article online about how every cop role that Reginald Bell Johnson has played is linked and he's the same person. <laughs> <laughs> it, like I'll start it with like Ghostbusters where... Egon's Twinkie, uh, Twinkie analogy, and they were basically saying that like that's a big Twinkie. Yeah, they were basically saying that like it seemed like when Reginald Vell Johnson's cop character was talking to the Ghostbusters, it's very likely that Egon, who because Reginald Vell Johnson's character in Die Hard is Al Powell, seems like he's very talkative and stuff, and he'd be like very interested in the Ghostbusters, and Egon would have told him his Twinkie analogy. And then after the events of the Marshmallow Man, he kind of freaked out and he went to L.A. and he became really obsessed with Twinkies and he started eating them a lot so that they can never grow into a big giant Marshmallow Man. (laughs) He had to eat them in order to save us all. And then after Die Hard and Die Hard 2, he ends up like in Chicago. Go on. I'm I'm following you. All so far, very believable. I he moved three times. He's the cop who'd moved to three different cities and gotten the same job in each one. But go on. I don't know if I have this this article up anymore. I think I closed it. It really started to like it really started to hurt my head when I was looking at it. And of course, we have the big baddie of the film. Alan Rickman is Hans Gruber. <laughs> 
Ladies and gentlemen, he will not be joining us for the remainder of his life. <laughs> he's so good. In I, this love, I love I love Mr. Alan He's so good. He's one of the greatest villains ever. He's like it's like Darth Vader and Alan Rickman. <laughs> in yeah. It's absolutely amazing. He's funny but scary. Yeah. And just had so many great iconic moments. And it, it's such an impressive feat of acting that one scene, could he German in it? Yes. German gangster. There's a scene where he runs into McLean, but McLean does not know he is Hans Gruber. So he puts on a bad American accent. Yes. And it's a British guy yes. doing a German accent, doing an American accent. And there's just so many layers to that, and it, <laughs> but it sounds perfect. I don't know. I'm always impressed yeah. by that. But Brickman into shit, man. He's amazing in that. Sam Neill was apparently offered the role originally, but he turned it down. And oh. Alan Rickman kind of came into the picture. He's already in his 40s at this point. And this was Alan Rickman's <laughs> first film role. Very first. No way. No one really knew who he was. Joel Silver hired him after seeing him on Broadway in Les Liaisons de Drance. <laughs> However you say that. Dangerous. Dr- Dr- dangerous Liaisons. Dangerous. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no one really knew him. He was basically just like a big, like, I mean, we talked about him in Galaxy Quest and how he's just like super fun and funny in that, but he's also like was very serious and he picked a little bit of fun at Tim Allen because Tim Allen like, wasn't really a serious actor and they quickly became really good friends. Uh, But Mm. he's like, you know, just one of these guys who's just like really serious. He's really into his acting and proper acting. And he did a lot of like stage acting and theater and all that. And he, yeah, almost didn't take the role, but he eventually decided to take it. And the rest is history. I mean, he like became a huge, like, you know, such a huge film star after this and really beloved by people. Like people absolutely love him so much. Like, you know, and yeah. you know, it's, it's, I mean, even not considering Harry Potter, yeah. I feel like that cemented it, mm-hmm. but before it die hard and Robin hood and love actually. And just, yeah, it's loads yeah. of shit, but he, yeah, no beloved. So he basically, the German accent, it was like meticulously researched. Like he saw that like English is the second language in Germany. So he yeah, really dialed in to the dialect and the phrasing, like just even down to certain phrases. There's like people who are Germans that speak English the way like a German person would because they are Germans that are speaking English who like look at his performance and say like the way he says certain phrases and stuff is exactly like the way someone from Germany would say a phrase like that, you know, like certain lines of the film. I always find his accent Acting. to be really funny. Like his, I don't know what I feel, <laughs> how I feel about it. Cause I'm always just looking at him and just like, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's Alan Rickman. Like, this is really funny. And then it gets worse yeah. when he gets into the American accent. I'll get to that a little bit later. Cause that kind of like works a little bit more into like the grander scheme of the story of this film. Okay, so we have his crew of people, you know, largely just like a crew of <laughs> a big hodgepodge mix of guys who are supposed to be German terrorists. You know, mo- most of them. There's a few people I recognize. Yeah. I mean, I imagine you're going to say. Yeah, I'll yeah. say two. Hodgepodge of German people. <laughs> yeah. I'll say two of the guys. I mean, so we have Alexander Godunov, who is Carl, who is 
the big blonde long hair. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> he's he's the big blonde hair guy who's second in command, who like really basically gets hard up to kill John McClane because he kills his brother. Oh, yeah. oh so, yeah, he's the one they have that badass fight yes. with the chain. At the end. <laughs> okay, that car. Sorry, so, I was thinking of his brother. Yeah, you were thinking of his brother. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, which I might not have his yeah. name. I didn't really throw in all the the goons names because there's so many of them and varying degree of like and empty. he write them all down on his arm <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> crossing them off which is great i love that scene i love that bit i love like just how john mcclain is he's using his smarts as much as he can like he's not like the biggest strongest guy so he's just being smarter about mm. like hearing things and taking notes and like making sure he's like you know dotting the t's crossing the i's <laughs> so yeah not dying this alexander godunov guy though is actually a russian ballet dancer and they just like loved his look and they were just like fine let's just put him in this give him a machine gun yeah you have clarence gilliard who is probably like one of the guys that you'd recognize a little bit he plays theo who's the tech specialist who's basically trying to like unlock the the safes oh, so yeah. he was in walker texas ranger he played like jimmy Who's like uh, Chuck Norris's like sidekick and Walker Texas Ranger? <laughs> oh my god! But yeah, most of these guys were like hired for their like looks and stuff, and like rather than their language skills. And they're supposed to be like German, but like most of them spoke like broken German gibberish. And like basically, like aha, uh-huh, I'm fight die, huh? <laughs> I mean, it was dubbed over in Homer video releases, but you could just see that their lips are all out of sync and stuff. The funny thing though is. Bruce Willis, who's supposed to be the like all American protagonist in this film, is like more German than any of the terrorists are really, because he was <laughs> uh, born in West Germany and his mother is actually German. I did not know that. Paul Gleason, here we go, Mister Vernon. Yeah, do do do, making a comeback after the fucking Caravan of Courage <laughs> yeah. or whatever. I almost wrote down whatever his God stupid damn. name was in Caravan of Courage, but I completely forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot. I don't ever want to think about it again. Yeah, he plays Dwayne T. Robinson, the LAPD deputy chief, who's just in the way. He's he's great in this as well. It's like he's great in everything, man. It's just like a lot of these guys outside are really filler, but like it just it's really fun. Like. He's just an asshole. Mm. He's good at being an asshole. If you need an asshole in a film, it's like perfect. Just get Paul Gleason. Paul Gleason is in two of my favorite Christmas movies, weirdly enough. This and Trading Place. Yeah. Yeah. And he's an asshole in both. (laughs) You've got Devereaux White as Argyle, John's limousine driver. So Argyle's great. great. Just pieing in the limo. He's got one of the best sort of angles. He's like, obviously like, way too nice i don't know if it's just like the fact that you know john mcclain treated him like a normal person and he's like first day on his job basically is what he kind of proclaims this first time driving the limo yeah so he's like he up in front he, like john mcclain cool. sits up front they're just kind of having this weird conversation and he's just like fine with saying yeah i'm just i'll pull around wait in the car park mm. <laughs> if you're all good i'll bring your bags and i'll hang out for two hours <laughs> yeah. yeah like it's really odd i mean but whatever uh <laughs> and obviously we have hart bachner <laughs> as harry ellis who is the sleazy 
coke sniffing executive at Nakatomi. Oh, this dude. Oh my god. Every every t- it's just the cheesiest idiot bad guy thing. Yeah. Oh my god. He's got a he got, he's oh, got a very like an idiot. uh Patrick Bateman vibe about him. Like I can imagine if Patrick Bateman was For not sure. like a complete serial killer, like this that's just that what he'd be doing. I love it, Bruce Mc, you know, uh I'm I'm just making it out saying Bruce McLean. When Bruce McLean showed up <laughs> and he'd like, Oh yeah, you missed a little I don't yeah. know. And he's like, I got your number, pal. I know what you're doing. And he tr- he tried. He think- he's so hopped up on cocaine. He's like super confident. Yeah. He thinks he can handle the whole thing himself and get himself yeah, killed. Yeah, so good. And ruined the whole that thing. That scene's just hilarious in general. Whoa, who's this? Like a man? John. What? Can you actually hear me now? Someone who wants to talk to you. What? A very special friend who was with you. I wasn't with anyone. I was just with Phil. Yeah. Hey, John boy. What? Who's this? Listen, John. Give me a few minutes to try to talk some sense into you. I know you think you're doing your job, John, and I can appreciate that, but you're just dragging this thing out. Look, no one gets out of here until these guys can talk to the L.A. police, and that just ain't gonna happen until you stop messing up the works, capisce? Dude, all I'm doing is recording a podcast. What are you talking about? Yeah. I told him we were old friends and you were my guest at the party. I don't know you. You shouldn't tell them that. All right, John, listen. I want you to tell them what the detonators are. They what people are listening. What detonators? What are you talking about, dude? Detonators. Why they're going to kill me. I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about detonators. I'm trying to record a podcast here, and you keep interrupting. Hey John, I think you could get with the program a little, huh? The police are here now. It's their problem. Now tell these guys what the detonators are so no one else gets hurt. You know, I'm putting my life on the line for you, pal. Dude, I'm trying to record a podcast. I didn't tell you to do this. So give us what we want and save your friend's life. You're not part of this equation. It's time you realize that. Uh, I, I know I'm not a part of this equation. I'm trying to record a podcast. I really don't know who this guy is. <laughs> John, how can you say that after all these years, huh? John. John. Oh. Holy shit. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Holy shit. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, that's over? It stopped. Okay. Dude. Yeah, I mean, that character's so annoying, but I mean, it's supposed to be. But he's like the perfect slimy fucking dude. Yeah. I mean, that. Show him the watch I got you. <laughs> show him. Show him. I love dude, that that watch. On. That's so fucking stupid. I've never, I don't think I've ever noticed how stupid that watch thing is. Like, and stupidly funny, like, imperfect. Like, just, mm. it's a perfect addition. Like, someone wrote this and thought it was so clever. <laughs> <laughs> they would like write this thing about this stupid watch and then the next thing you know like two hours later like the watch is the thing that up. is what gets taken off of her wrist and causes Hans Gruber to fall to his death <laughs> so good it, you know what it's actually great yeah. because it's like in a movie full of subplot um, and all these story threads that tie up at the yeah. end they literally all come together at the end they all yeah. work that's the one you forget yeah, about yeah. and it totally worked it's <laughs> so great so in the, at the end he was the hero he, he did save the day never forget R.I.P. and peace 
Bogner though, his uh like I said, there's there's some things that are improvised in his line, Hans, Booby, I'm your white knight <laughs> was completely improvised. And Alan Rickman's like reaction, like where he was clearly thrown, was actually pretty genuine because he just didn't know he was gonna say that. And I guess he was just sort of like, What? <laughs> great. That guy always gets it such worked, a big huh? laugh and laugh from the audience at the cinema it's like really mm. like i'm saying this film is so fun with an audience like the people just love everything that you're supposed to love and yeah it's great we have uh james shigeta who plays joseph yoshinobu togagi who is uh nakatomi's head executive and we get robert davi and grand l bush grand l bush who play the FBI agents Johnson and Johnson? Like a porno name, <laughs> yeah. And they happen to play porno names, but he never like Big looks... Johnson and Little Johnson. Yeah, that dude, that's a joke, right? <laughs> Did that dude know? You know what Grand Bush needs? Manscaping, Sorry, manscaping, breadcrumbs, <laughs> breadcrumb, bro. Just trinkle it over the top of it. Okay, so Jan de Bont, you know the guy who directed uh, Die Hard on a Bus, Speed. And uh, yeah, and Twister, Die Hard in the Sky. No, <laughs> Die Hard in the Wind. Die Hard. I don't know what you call Twister. Twister's Twister, buddy. Yeah. There's no Die Hard. Twister's a banger. <laughs> yeah, if they, if it's own movie. Yeah. He was brought in for cinematography, and you know he did that. You know, he did that thing. The same guy who did that thing. You know this film called uh, Flatliners. You know this Joel Schumacher film shot by Jan de little pop star you know joke in there. if you know you know uh, <laughs> and yeah he and mctiernan they really worked on shooting a different kind of action film so they want i think once mm. they worked themselves into the corner of having like bruce willis is the star of this they were just kind of like yes this is a different kind of action film one that's funny it's going to be quirky one that's against the sort of toxic masculinity that we've seen in all these films like his previous film, John McTiernan's previous film, like did Predator with Arnie. So this time he's doing something yeah. a little bit different, but he still thought the script needed work. So Jeb Stewart was fired during filming because he couldn't really figure out how to make it work. And they brought on writer Stephen E. D'Souza, who has written Commando, The Running Man, 48 Hours, The Flintstones, Judge Dredd. And he was the writer and director Ooh, that fell off a cliff. Of Street Fighter. <laughs> oh, God damn. Yeah. Funny guy, though. I really like Stephen E. D'Souza. He seems really funny. He was brought in to do rewrites of the script and add in some levity. And then they start shooting the film with only like 35 pages of D'Souza's rewrites ready. So they just kept going, kept going. While he was on set, he's just running around. I'll catch up. He's just seeing all this stuff. <laughs> figuring out how he can take different characters, different angles and make some fun and all this sort of things, you know, it shouldn't work. Yeah. I mean, he added in a lot of fun things like, you know, just little stupid details, like the SWAT team coming in, like all the, all the cops look like such doofuses in this film, except for John McClane and Sergeant Al Powell, like everybody else looks Mm. so stupid. Like the SWAT team comes in and like one of them gets nicked by like a, a briar or something. <laughs> and he's just like, Oh, you they know? just drive into the building. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck are they doing? It's so silly. Uh, you have like things like where they were allowing, like him and McTiernan, D'Souza and McTiernan were kind of allowing people. Like I said, there was a lot of improvisation going on. Like the, one of 
like the Asian guy who is a part of the heist crew, like, you know, Gruber's crew. He's the guy I recognize. Yeah. I feel like he's like a stuntman who's like in every action movie in the 80s yes. and 90s. Yeah. He was in, yeah. he was in uh, Twilight Zone, the movie, is one of like the Vietnamese guys during the Vietnamese segment. Oh. Yeah. I just remember him from uh, Dumb and Dumber. He, he's the guy who <laughs> Jim Carrey ripped his heart out, put yeah, in a yeah. doggy bag. That's yes, yeah. While I, while I remember, one of the other guys in the group is the bad guy from Ghostbusters 2. Oh, yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. Just to have another Ghostbusters reference. <laughs> uh, not, not Igor, is that his name? Vigo. Vigo, Vigo. The, the guy in the painting. And yeah. he's one of the, he's the guy who like, he like drops the missile at one point. You'll recognize him. If you're listening to this, you recommend. <laughs> yeah, so the, the the Asian guy though, he like just decided on a whim to just like grab a candy bar, you know, at that love that concession thing. stand, and they just left that in, you know. So it was a lot of like fun things, and they just wanted to kind of make it really fun, you know. He's just sitting there eating like a crunch bar and stuff, and I nearly got <laughs> a crunch bar for snack time because of that, because I love a crunch bar. But Twinkie supersede. Uh, <laughs> Does Souza like approach the film with Gruber being like the protagonist as well? He basically thought like if Gruber didn't rob the building, the McLean wouldn't have gone to like he would have just gone to the party. He may or may not have reconciled with his wife, but Gruber coming in to rob the building really drove everything about that story. And if you think of it from that angle, then it really helps sort of change and give you more of a direction. So it's kind of like smart the way he thought about that. And yeah, I love I love that kind of story where it's like something big needs to happen for a character to do something really small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he just needs to apologize to his wife, but in order to get to that spot, huge existential crisis <laughs> needs to occur where <laughs> he has to save an entire building full of people from terror. Yeah, it's great. No, it's great. It's so satisfying. Well, he added in several subplots into the movie for minor characters as well. Like, for instance, like building on Powell's character and building on like the thing with the TV reporter and the thing with the uh, cleaning lady at the house and the thing with like, you know, Bonnie Badia's character coming to speak to Alan Rickman's Hans Gruber, like to talk about things like, oh, we need to go to the toilet, blah, blah, blah. They they built up these mm-hmm. things basically to assist Bruce Willis's hectic schedule because he was shooting Moonlight during the day and then he was moonlighting on Die Hard at night. So <laughs> he's hey. like pretty like worked up. I, I think right? they were like letting him get some time off here and there. And D'Souza also came up with the film's famous catchphrase, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker, based on cowboy actor Roy Rogers' line, yippee-ki-yay, kids. But actually, did he? Did he? <laughs> Maybe not, because it, it seems that him and Bruce Willis got together. Like I said, he's pretty hands on during the filming of this. So this really couldn't have been made without him or at least had the same charm without him because D'Souza's on set. He's talking with Bruce Willis. They're talking about the character and kind of trying to get to the bottom of what like John, what makes him tick and stuff. And they start talking about how they both really liked Roy Rogers in the whole yippee ki thing that he used to say to kids yippee ki kids and then bruce willis is credited with actually saying yippee ki motherfucker when they were shooting as a joke basically just trying to crack up the crew and it ended up sticking <laughs> which is amazing and it's i love it, it it it's iconic and it's 
but it's almost thrown away in the movie. Yeah. It's only really cemented by Hans Gruber. Yes. And I feel like that's what made it the catchphrase. And then they had to say it in the other movie. Yeah. In more and more like forced and coerced ways. But like that first bit where he's like, he's, just, he's talking to Hans over the yeah. radio and he's like, you know, you're another American cowboy. <laughs> Watch too many movies. Cause that's how he talks. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, he just like comes out the door at the elevator opened and he like whispered things like, you be gay, motherfucker. And yeah. it's like so, it's throw away, quiet. It's so understated. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so understated. And then at the end, Rickman is like, oh, what did it, what is it you said to me? You be gay, motherfucker. And he like really uh. tripped over it. But it's great. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's, why are you laughing? I'm not, you're not allowed to laugh. You're going to die. Wait, wait, something's up here. <laughs> So filming began in November of 1987. The production took advantage of Fox's own Fox Plaza as a primary location at Nakatomi Plaza. They were looking for a location to have this big building and they just looked across the lot and they're just like, oh, there, that building. (laughs) (laughs) So it was actually under construction when they were, when shooting began and it actually worked out to their favor because the film crew was given a lot of the empty areas of the building and then it was just like perfect for what they needed to be a building that was under construction <laughs> that they could just blow up. <laughs> and uh, Jan de Bont and McTiernan, they had very little storyboarded for the film. And <laughs> this film, just like everything feels so improvised. It's just like, yeah, fuck it. Let's just do it. Like they had nothing really storyboarded. Jan de Bont was just like, oh, I think like planning too much just kind of ruins things. So they just meet up daily and just kind of discuss what they were going to shoot in detail. So it worked. Right. They were fucking right. Yeah. Shit worked. It all fell together really well. You have this like 380 foot long background painting that provided the illusion of like the big city in the background in the movie, like outside of the building. That was this like this insane. crazy state of the art background with like animated lights, moving traffic and the ability to change from day and night. Oh, so cool. Yeah. And that painting is still on the property and it's been used in other productions since. So pretty badass you'd have to you, yeah. you put all that money into that now you're like we're getting everything in la and we're always going to be filming from a yeah. rooftop so you can see this like why is no one filming great awesome pirate movies on the set of hook they built a whole city <laughs> this, is, this is what i think about daily like it's right there it's like it's so come on pirates of the caribbean come on <laughs> He's rebooting it again. Yeah, Let's well. do it for real this time. Do it for real. Do it, it right this time. Stop shooting in London. No one cares about London. <laughs> yeah. No famous pirate ever came from London. Okay, let's just move on. <laughs> so let's get into some stunts and other bits as we're wrapping up here. Uh, Jesus, there's like slamming going on. Like, I don't know what's going on. I really hope <laughs> we're safe. Ah, so many interruptions in this episode. I apologize, guys. <laughs> Yeah, these terrorists are really inconsiderate. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. The stunt crew and the writers, they you know would walk around the building to make notes of the space that they could use and they could work with. Like I said, it's pretty unfinished, this building. So certain areas, just free for all. They just were like, fuck it. Let's just like, there's a staircase there. Let's use that staircase. There's chains there. Let's use those chains. So they were just really just yeah. kind of going for it. And it led to all the amazing action and all like <laughs> the kind of pretty realistic violence that you see in the film. That's what I really love yeah, about man. this film. It's so fucking like 
brutal at times, like that fight with Carl and the chains around the neck, even though he does survive oh. somehow. And then at the end, he's like there with this fucking gun. <laughs> no, it's great. Like, like the, the, the fight with Carl's brother where he fucking gets them in like a head lock yeah. and they fall down the stairs and he like sort of inadvertently breaks his neck. Yeah. That shit's hardcore. Yeah. It's all like really rough, yeah. messy, realistic looking fights. Like, Obviously, he would get his feet cut up, you know. Mm. All the sh- he's looking for shoes the whole time and can't find any. <laughs> yeah, all the shoes just Again, paying off the joke at the beginning yeah. with yeah. the barefoot, like the guy yeah. telling him to go barefoot. Like I told you, because it does work. It does work. But only if a group of terrorists don't shoot every like glass window in the building. So you have to yeah. step on it. Well, I mean, I don't think that that's really going to help me if I'm like so tall, though, you know. Unless if I'm supposed to cut my legs off, like if to make myself shorter, and then you, and then you can curl your toes with your (laughs) hand. Just put my hands down there and just curl my fingers. (laughs) The same, right? This is the same. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I I love this John McClane. Like you know, he gets in that fight with Carl, and he just like he's such a fucking nasty little asshole sometimes like like that's the thing about john mcclain yeah. he's just like he's a smart talking you know who could have played this role and like would have done it beautifully you know i'm not saying replace bruce willis but it really brought to mind someone I know who i think think should do mo- should have done movies like this when he was younger and could have been huge bruce campbell like would have been bruce fucking campbell would have been yeah fucking i had that thought too huge if he played a film like would have killed it yeah yeah he's just like a very similar character to Ash. He just like is an everyman who's in over his head, who somehow wings it enough to get, get through the, all this mess. And like, he's not stupid. It's just like, he's not like an elite, like power lifting. Like, the things are difficult, you know? Yeah. yeah. So but he done that. Like he falls down the shaft yeah. the first time he tried. Yeah. But he's doing it with like a gun and the rope from the gun. And it's so, that shit is so tense. Yeah. It's like when he finally jumped off the building. That it's always hard to watch, even though I know he makes it, but he barely yeah. makes it. He's like kick himself out over the LA fucking yeah. skyline, come in, shoot the window, <laughs> and like land in, and then release himself from the thing. Yeah, crazy, crazy, yeah, crazy, dude. So I think what I love a lot though is just like how he like Bruce in Bruce Willis. You owe a lot to this. It's just like I think they were just allowing him to sort of go for it, be a little bit more improv, improvise your lines a little bit here and there. And he like, I love that line where he's like fighting Carl and he's just like, Oh, you should have heard your brother squeal when I broke his neck. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> Dude, he's done at that point, fuck. you know, like he's like, I'm going to fuck you <laughs> up. Like everything is coming out. Yeah. My favorite line of Bruce Wellington. It's not one. I think most people like it, but it's not one people would quote. I guess it's a hard one to quote, but my, absolute favorite line funniest line for me is when he finally gets to the roof yeah so he gets signal and he's trying to radio the police and the woman answers and she's like and he's like this is an emergency he's like um you know there are terrorists taking open nakatomi father than this many you know send people now and she's like uh, this line is reserved for emergency only. <laughs> and he's like, no fucking shit, lady. Does it sound like I'm ordering a pizza? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that line always gets yeah. me. I think it's so funny. Maybe it's the way he delivered it because he's like screaming as yeah. he does it. And he and we don't see him. It's just him. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. 
I love it. And if right before he gets like shut up and he has to jump. Yeah. It's so it's so great. So funny. No, it's so funny. Every literally every almost every line, every scene is iconic. Mm-hmm. So you've just seen it done. It, this is like one of those movies. It kind of dictates what the next generation of this kind of movie looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I guess that makes sense because it's Jan de Bont and he would go on to kind of make some of the most <laughs> yeah, yeah. action movies. Yeah. But it's just that look that it's hard to, really hard to better. I'm still, I can't believe it was so patchwork and mismatch. Yeah, yeah. I can't, it shouldn't, the movie like shouldn't work. It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking movie. Absolutely. That's why it's a Christmas movie because it's a miracle that it actually works so well. Goddamn mess. So, there's a lot of practical shots and explosions in this. And that's another thing to love about it. There's just, fuck it. Let's just do real tanks running up the stairs. The gunfire like was mostly all real. You had a lot of issues with lawyers who were working in the Fox building. So this building was, wasn't complete, but they had only certain sections of it that weren't complete that they were able to shoot in. That meant that there was other sections of the building, kind of like middle of the building that actually had lawyers from Fox working in it. And they were making so much noise that they had to shoot like after 5 p.m. So these are a lot mm. of night shoots. And neighbors in the vicinity of the area got mad at night because there was just all these lights. They had those huge spotlights. And then also you would just mm. have all the set lights and then productions like shooting up the place and like explosions, everything. It's shit. crazy. So the production only had two hours to shoot on a Sunday evening to get the big helicopter scenes towards the end of the film. And they managed to get it in half an hour. I think they were just like, fuck it. Let's just do it. Let's just go. Let's go with it. It seemed like there was a little bit of that going on with this as well, where it's just like, screw it. Just go with it. Who cares? Just go with it. To blow up the top of the building and the helicopters, they used miniatures. And they had this like group of like this group who just made this miniature in Nakasomi Plaza. They made the helicopter. They blew it up. <laughs> They like looked at the footage and they're just kind of like, this looks like shit. And they just sent it in. And Joel Silver was just like, this is beautiful. Like he's just like, he loved it. And then it was just the way they shot it though. That like, if you slowed it down and you added like the right, like clean to it, basically it just looked so realistic that like this helicopter just like explodes and hits into the glass and it just looked really realistic. But if you look at some of like their footage of it, like with nothing done to it, no doctor footage or anything, it just looks really funny. Like literally like just a little miniature falling off a building. (laughs) It's like, again, um, uh, again, another reference to the Timber and Batman movie used a lot of miniatures, but it's Mm -hmm. really obvious because of the people yeah. on the street, it clearly just <laughs> like figured yeah. on poles moving back and forth. It's just like like roller skating yeah. at the Batmobile, like crashing in the <laughs> foreground, and it just it's just weird. It's really weird. It kind of works, but it it works really because it's Tim out. Burton. <laughs> like I think, like yeah, you exactly. just feel like you're in a weird Tim Burton world. But yeah, I get you. <laughs> but Die Hard doesn't have that problem. It looks yeah. amazing. So you talked about the big jumping from off the top of the building with the fire hose. That whole explosion led to this bit, Bruce Willis jumping off. He actually did the stunt himself of jumping off the building. I don't really know how far the jump that he actually did was, but he was up for it. He just jumped. They had these explosions behind him, and then they did the scene with him going down off the building with the stunt guy who swung into Mm. the side of the building 
like the getting into the building where he shoots himself into the building, like, and all the glass just goes flying and then he like flies in and then, <laughs> yeah, then the fucking hose just goes down off the side of the building. So basically that gag was inspired by Harold Lloyd's safety last, which is like, you know, old school Harold Lloyd comedy. So it feels like one of those. Yeah. Bit, yeah. It's a really like good gag. It really, so I mean, he's bug bunny. The whole thing is like a giant cartoon. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. The costume department had apparently 17 undershirts in various stages of, you know, degradation Decay. for yeah. like Bruce Willis. And it, one of the most it's like mud brown. Yeah, you. it's weird how fucking muddy brown it gets. I'm like, how is he so fucking dirty? I don't get it, but whatever. Like, it's your sweat, like acidic. Like, how is he doing <laughs> that? Like, I know blood, like if you get a lot of blood on you, but like, it's not like he was in a bloodbath or something. I mean, like, <laughs> it's like gangrels around here, like, or something. Just yeah. Brood lurking around. <laughs> but yeah, one of the most blood-soaked shirts is in the Smithsonian behind glass. So that's pretty Oh, cool. not at Planet Hollywood? That's how ar- iconic this is. <laughs> no, that was one of the yeah. other ones. One of the, yeah. one of the fake ones, you know. Mm-hmm. In order to get the hyper-realism that like, John McTiernan was looking for, you know, I'm telling you, this film's crazy. The gunshots, the blanks that were used in the guns were modified to be extra loud. So one scene where Bruce Willis is shooting a terrorist through the table, which is hilarious. You know, he's just popping them yeah. <laughs> from underneath the table. It basically put, yeah. it put him really close to the gun and he's like enclosed as well underneath the table. And it basically caused permanent hearing loss. He apparently suffered like two thirds partial hearing loss in his left ear, which is horrible. Oh, man. He, he barely flinched when he yeah. did that. No. He barely flinches, but director John McTiernan actually found it necessary to cut away from Hans Gruber's face because whenever Alan Rickman fired a gun, he had an uncontrollable habit to flinch from the noise and the muzzle flash. Oh my God. You ain't no German terrorist. (laughs) So if you look at like his Rickman's face when he shoots Takagi, you can actually see him wincing. But like most of the time, if he was shooting the gun, they just cut away. (laughs) Amazing. It was his first film, guys. Come on. They didn't use those type of guns on stage, you know? It's not like he was... None of us would be used to that much gunfire. Yeah, he might have done Romeo and Juliet, but he didn't do Romeo Must Die. Come on, guys. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't do Boz Lerman's... (laughs) He didn't do Boz Lerman's fucking Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet, yeah. Yeah, in the scene where McLean jumps into the ventilation shaft, now he also talked about this, and he nearly falls... Like, oh, so his stuntman was supposed to grab onto the first vent that McLean, you know, seems to be going for and he misses. And oh, he actually in missed. real life. His stuntman was supposed to do that. He missed by a lot and he fell down. <laughs> what was a 40 foot shaft that they built for this? Scene. <sighs> Luckily, oh, onto no. a bag below, there was a stunt bag below. Just yeah, you'd have to. Thank God. Because that is huge. If you see that footage sort of like slowed down, there's a great documentary on Netflix, um, a part of that like Movies That Made Us us series where they go through that scene a lot. And it's just like him falling down. It's like terrifying. Like it looks really fucking far. (laughs) So they kept that bit into- That's terrifying. Yeah. That was scary when I thought it was fake. Yeah, I mean, they're they, like, so if you're looking at it, it just feels so tense. And when the editor was like looking at it, he just decided to keep that as the final cut in the film. And they added in another bit where it was McLean catching another bit 
of the vent. <sighs> so it looked yeah. like he just called on, which is like why it has that sort of funny cut from inside the vent at that point. But it's beautiful. It's just like it adds so much to that scene. Another really funny thing about someone falling is Hans Gruber's death scene. So in order to make Alan Rickman look like he was falling off the building, he was supposed to drop from like a 20 foot drop, like onto an airbag mm. below. And he's like basically doing slow motion. Yeah. And he's being held up by a stunt man. And they shot this with like a camera, basically like a wide angle lens. And it was going at like a certain frame rate to make it like, so that they slow it down. It just looked really awesome. And then they had a, mm. I think they further added to the shot because it was only so long. Like it was, even though it was 20 feet, it, they only had so much that they actually did lower and another stunt man with like a slow falling rope off the top of the Fox yeah. Plaza to get the effect that he like was going further down. <laughs> and I guess that's, yeah. I don't know what they did for that. Like the huge fall. <laughs> yeah. It looked wow. well dodgy. Uh, but yeah, in order to get the reaction out of <laughs> Alan Rickman, so he's being held up by a stuntman on a rope, basically. And they're basically telling him, we're going to count you to three. And we're going to drop you on three. There will be no four. <laughs> and they dropped him on two. So his so he face was just like, oh. And you can see it. It's <laughs> yes. so good. It like, it's genius, man. Like that stuntman. That's great. Is a genius. I'd be pissed off. Yeah. He's a genius. You're right. I'd be pissed off, but I would totally understand. <laughs> yeah. It's worth it for the shot. Yeah. Because you always remember his face. Absolutely. It's iconic. And it's way, it's iconic and it's way better than, remember in RoboCop when they, could the RoboCop had the same ending where the guy, <laughs> yeah. the bad guy thrown out the window and he got the huge wavy arm. Yeah, yeah. Huge oh, fake God. arm. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? Thank God they didn't do that. So, like I said, the film was being written, rewritten a lot as it's filming the producers discovered in catering. So we talked about this a little bit. I kind of saved it to this point. It's uh, Alan Rickman's ability to mimic an American accent. And it led to his first meeting with Hans and John because so they had a sort of idea for the ending, but they really wanted to incorporate like a meetup between Hans and John at some point Mm -hmm. before the ultimate end. And when they're in catering, someone asked Alan Rickman about his ability to like do an American accent. Cause he's like doing this German accent, you're English, but can you do an American accent? And he sort of like joked and was sort of like, Oh, well, I mean, can't really do like an American accent, but I could do like a Californian accent. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a very good answer. Yeah. Could most people be like, yeah, sure. You mean like this? And yeah. it's like, that's not what Americans sound <laughs> <Yeah>. like. <laughs> so basically they were just like, all right, like, Let's just add this in. And there was much of the script was just being improvised due to the constant screenplay tweaks. And it was just being made up as they were going while they're filming. And the scene was completely unrehearsed. They just went for it. Just kind of did it. It feels, and it's just it feels, so like, it feels like very off the cuff. It's so good. It had a plot hole though in it. I think I've read about why I think I've read it like how it actually makes sense, but how does Clay know that Han is Han? Okay, I'll get to that after this bit. You got it. I I think I have basically what you're going for. So, all right, so basically this 
whole thing of him discover like discovering that he could do like an American accent was really pivotal for a lot of things. Okay, so the whole scene <laughs> led to the idea of shooting the glass out and John McClane getting glass oh. in his feet because they wouldn't have done that otherwise. That that led to that next bit because they met each other You're and right. start shooting out and he like gets glass in his feet. And that led to Bruce Willis more improvisation here while he's talking to Powell on the radio. And that was all supposedly improvised. Bruce Willis was just like going for it. That scene where he's talking on the radio led to Terry Gilliam hiring him to be in 12 monkeys. <laughs> well, yeah. that makes a lot of fun. But if that one thing, what like in the bathroom, yeah, and yeah. Like, tell my wife, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. So That's good. That's yeah. a great thing. And for that scene, here we go. So Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you think you're in a building with you know fake appendages? Well, <laughs> let me tell you something. John McClane runs barefoot on glass, you know, through that computer room, and he gets the glass in his foot. If you look really closely, Bruce Willis was actually given feet like rubber shoes to wear, and you can actually kind of see it if you look close enough in certain scenes that he's actually just got these weird rubber feet on. <laughs> Big clown feet on. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. All right, so they goofed up with the end of the film. I think this is where you're going with Hans Gruber and how did John McClane figure out that he was yeah. Hans and not this like weird, what did he say his name was? Like Bill Clay. Bill Clay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bill Clay. Bill Clay. Yeah, could he think the name up there? Yeah, so... They all come out at the beginning of the film in the back of the truck. And if you remember at the end of the film, Clarence Gilliard's Theo tries to escape in the ambulance and, and Argyle, Argyle crashes into him and knocks him out. Yeah. Great scene. Always gets a huge cheer in the cinema. Yeah, I'm telling you, this film's fun in the cinema. All right, so yeah. they realize that when they were basically, they got through filming. They were watching this in, uh, in like an early screening. Basically they haven't even finished editing everything and adding all the special effects. This is just like for very few people. And they realized, Oh my God, the same truck that the terrorist arrived in earlier had no ambulance in the back. So how in the hell did this ambulance just appear? How did they fix this? They decide to, not fix it. They just kind of left it in the movie. <laughs> but there was some scenes around it. It worked. I've never questioned Yeah, that. there were some scenes around it, though, that like sort of cut out. And I don't know why they did it. But apparently there's like a big thing with their like watches. So there's like the Tag Hauer watches. That's the thing I remember. Yeah, they, they have those yeah, Tag Heuer German, German watches. Hauer, I'm not sure. They all have the it. same watch and they all think. Yeah, yeah, they all synchronize it as they're going in. They cut that out because... It, I think, was probably done as soon as they got out of the back of the truck. So it would have been like really on the back of the truck. So they, I think they were just thinking if we cut this mm. out, then people won't really recognize that there wasn't an ambulance in the back of the truck, which I kind of don't really think about a lot. Like, I don't like, I th- no, the ambulance is not the thing that bothered yeah. me. The thing that bothered me is John McClane not like somehow realizing that Hans Gruber is Hans Gruber. <laughs> yeah. And it would take two shots to fix that. It would take a shot of Hans looking at his watch, John McClane noticing that they all have the same watch. And then in that scene where they meet, he literally just looked down at his watch yeah. and he realized it. It's three shots. 
and it's done yeah. and it's covered up. <laughs> but they didn't. And that's why, why this movie is terrible and not a critical <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's wrap up here. We have. I, I, that was it. That was my final thought. I wanted to throw in some fun <laughs> things because like, I, we've already talked about why we were brought here in the first place to talk about this movie is that the fact that we were, you know, a hit in Japan for our episode mm-hmm. with what film? Captain Supermarket. Captain Supermarket. So let's talk about some of these funny translations for Die Hard. So... <laughs> If you use Die Hard sort of the way it is, it's like an idiom and it just translates to it, you know, it's hard to kill or he dies slowly. So the marketers had to get really creative in other countries because it just translates really strange. So the film is therefore known as Lethal Trap in the Czech Republic. Sounds like a porno. (laughs) Action Skyscraper in Norway. The Glass (laughs) Trap in Poland. Hard Nut. (laughs) <laughs> Russia. Bruce Willis bust a hard nut <laughs> and then yeah. for some reason in Hungary they christened the film give your life expensive <laughs> I don't know I mean they're right life is expensive and then somehow somehow maybe somehow topping Russia and Denmark they didn't shy away from Die Hard. They actually doubled down on it. They called it Die Hard Mega Hard. They were already planning for the sequel. <laughs> yeah, that sounds Die like hard, a sequel. All right, so music in the film, obviously, there's a lot of Ode to Joy, Beethoven's Ninth. Before hiring composer Michael Kamen, McTiernan knew one musical piece he wanted to include, and that was Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, commonly known as Ode to Joy. He heard it in Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange, and he's just like, yep, Never I want this back. piece. At first, <laughs> yeah. Kamen objected to using Beethoven's Ninth because he didn't want to tarnish it. And then, you know, he had offered to misuse like Wagner's music instead. <laughs> <laughs> no, tarnish this work. Don't tarnish <laughs> But after McTiernan explained to him how it was used in a Clockwork Orange, Common like understood it and he went with it. I just find that so funny because that's a very like Alex thing to do to not want to tarnish Beethoven's Ninth. <laughs> like that's like a big plot Classic. point in a Clockwork Orange where he's just like he can't hear Beethoven's Ninth without throwing up, <laughs> and he's like so upset. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Common also understood stood that he went with it, and he also insisted that they would license the use of Singing in the Rain, and also they would license Winter Wonderland. So those play throughout the film, but the ninth just really like kind of cements this film. It just really plays through nicely. And then, of course, we also have Christmas and Hollis. We've mentioned a couple times Run DMC. A classic now, Christmas classic. It was December twenty fourth in Hollister after dark when I saw my man chilling in the dog with the puck. <laughs> Sorry, I could keep going. That's a great, great, great song. Yeah. Marketing for the film, though, it actually began promoting Bruce Willis prominently on the posters. If you've seen a Die Hard poster, you know Bruce Willis' face is like right there on it. You know, classic him with the gun sort of to the side. It's beautiful, great poster. But audiences and theaters when the trailer was playing, actually started to laugh and they started to boo when they saw TV star Bruce Willis pop up onto their screen because they were just like, who is this? What the fuck? 
So below the worst marketing <laughs> after test audiences were seeing these trailers and stuff, and they were just like, "All right, fuck it, let's focus on the building." So a lot of the posters <laughs> are just like heavy on the building, and there's a lot of those, oh, like the nine eleven poster. Yeah, like this crazy, like yeah, they yeah, look like two towers on fire. Yeah, it's fucking really odd, like up. really weird, weird posters and weird marketing. So yeah, it went that way. The film was released in July 1988. The film made seven million dollars on its opening weekend. And word of mouth started to go around and people are like, hell yeah, let's go for this. Let's go see it. Yeah, Bruce, you'd be like, have you fucking seen the have movie? Have you seen I Bruce Willis? I can't believe, yeah, I can't believe people were like, fuck Bruce Willis. Yeah. I mean, now, yeah, I can fuck Bruce Willis. But like at the time, it's the ultimate, like, it's like the wrestling fan mentality, right? Where they just boo everything. And it's like, <laughs> you don't know what you need. Sometimes you need to not get what you want to get what you need for the Absolutely. story. And you need Bruce Willis to be an action star, but you don't know it yet. Yeah. But this movie is going to do it. 100%. <laughs> yeah, because... I'm just keeping it 100. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Conan, chill out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Bruce Willis, after this, returned to all the marketing materials and the posters. His names were up on the marquees, like, and he started to cement himself His as a star. His name was bigger... Yeah. The title. <laughs> yeah. Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah. And the film would go on to make $140 million at the box office. So, in somewhere around a $25 to $35 million budget. Critics mm. and audiences absolutely loved the film. There were a few people who thought it was dumb. There were a few people who picked apart plot holes, but screw them. But they're dumb. They're dumb. <laughs> screw them. This film's awesome. The film was nominated for four Academy Awards. For sound, Goddamn right. editing, best sound effects, and also visual effects. Didn't oh, win any. Best screenplay. <laughs> the irony of that. Yeah, it, d- it didn't win any, but it won the Japanese Academy Award for best foreign film. So again, no, no wonder. It's big in Japan. Nakatomi Podcast Festival was adamant that we, we talk about relate. this one. So, I mean, I don't know. We're doing it. We're doing it. Well, that's it. Die Hard. You want to see it? I'm telling you, it's badass in the cinema. It just works really well in the cinema. It's so fun. The audience it is, is great. Ton of fun. On 70 millimeter. Okay, so it screens at the Prince Charles Cinema from Friday the 11th to Tuesday the 15th. Not every day, but most days on 70 millimeter. It looks amazing on 70 millimeter because basically the picture just like takes over the entirety of our screen for the most part. Like it's just as big as you can get in our downstairs screen looks awesome but the thing about die hard on 70 millimeter is not so much the picture because it is a blow up shot on 35 millimeter was not shot on 70 millimeter but it was blown up to a to a 70 millimeter print but where it shines on 70 millimeter is the sound it is awesome on 70 millimeter the sound oh, is loud gunshot like gunshot it feels like you're there. The helicopter scene at the, the end of the film, like blowing up is so loud and amazing. It just feels like you're there. It's really, it's really, really cool. I can't like state how cool it is. So then if you can't make it to 70 millimeter screenings, there's a screening on the 23rd and the 24th before Christmas is over. I think it's sold out on the 24th. So get your tickets. But <laughs> it probably is. Yeah, yeah. it's uh. People love it on the Christmas Eve. Definitely. It's always sold out. It's screening from 35 millimeter from the 23rd, and then it'll be playing a few more dates into January. So basically we weren't able to get 70 millimeter throughout the whole entire run because another site has the print booked for that period of time. 
So we'll be here on 35mm. Come on, you get some get some film prints anyway. It's it's good, man. Come out to see it. It's awesome. This film rules. And as we were saying when we were open last time, if you want to come out to see things, you got to get your tickets early. Yes, our new seating plan does open up more seats, but they are still going really fast and they will sell out. Yeah. So come see Die Hard at the Prince Charles Cinema. That's my final thoughts on it. That's kind of all I have to say about it. It's awesome. It rules. It's a great, fun time. We've talked about it for a long time. This turned into a Mamma Jamma. Uh, Die Hard's awesome. It's a Mamma Jamma. Yeah. I knew it would be. I mean, it's a great movie. Great action movie. Yes. Great Christmas movie. Isn't it? The best Die Hard movie. Let's do it. Let's just do it. Let's just talk. Let's, could, I can't imagine we'll do any. We'll talk. There'll be never a contact where we'll talk about the other one. So I want to know what you think about because I've seen them all. It's one of the few I can say I've seen every Die Hard movie. I mean, not many. There's five, which is like three too many. But <laughs> yeah. it's very mixed, and yes. I wonder where you lean on them. Okay, I to tell you the truth, I don't think I, I don't think I've seen. Or, well, I've seen Live Free. And Die Hard. What was the most recent uh, one? Four, what was the fifth one? A called? good, a good day to die one, hard. A good day to die hard. I don't think yeah. I saw that one. I saw. Oh, I think I'm trash. pretty sure I saw Live Free <laughs> and Die Hard, and it like Die Hard 4.0. Here. Yeah, and it was it was a bit weird. Kevin Smith's in that one, eh? Yeah. No wonder you want to go to see his handprints. You just gotta. I'm a fan, fan. Okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, all right, so. Die Hard is awesome. I don't remember a lot of Die Hard 2 either, so I feel like I can't really place it in there, but I know it's bad. I know it's bad. Die Hard with the Vengeance? My word, it almost it almost wants to jump almost. right in there. I need to rewatch that again. It's been a while. It's close, dude. And it's fucking good. I mean, come on, Sam Jackson. Yeah. Come on. It's good. Sam Jackson makes it. That's my thing with it, though. It's like... Die Hard is probably the top. Die Hard 2 is not that bad, but it's the exact same movie. The <laughs> Literally, the exact same yeah. movie. But it had death from Bill and Ted of the bad guy. So, gotta give it some props. And Die Hard 3 is incredible. It finally does something different. Yes. It, 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 it's Die Hard 2 is a Christmas movie. Back again. in New York City. Yeah, but Die Hard 3 takes it back to New York. It's like, fuck, it's another holiday. But I forget what it is. It might not be, actually. Never mind. Um, but Jeremy Iron is the only other villain in the movie to touch Hunt Gruber, and it makes sense because he's his brother. Yeah. Spoilers. Spoilers. Um, but it's him and Sam Jackson, and that's what makes it. Yeah. And it's essentially Lethal Weapon. Yeah. So it's nice less buddy cop film. Die Hardy. <laughs> and Die Hard 4 does the same thing, and it's this weird. It's actually a decent modern update, I think, of the character. Mm-hmm. But they side him. Like they give him a, the geeky sidekick. Was it Justin, Justin Long? Long? Yeah, yeah. Justin Long, and it's a PG thirteen movie, so it's a diehard movie with no swearing. So even the yippee kaye line is muffled. It kind of works. It's not the most forced version. Yeah, I think that's in Die Hard Three actually, where he's like just see the helicopter crash and he just looks up and said it, and nobody's around to hear him. <laughs> and Die Hard Five, it's utter trash. It's yeah, just I'd, a most generic bargain bin action movie. It's not a diehard movie. Hate it. I wish it didn't exist. <laughs> um, and I wish they would make another one just 
to end it properly. Yeah. But also, please stop making Die Hard movies. It's, it's sort of like um, The Undertaker. So it's one or three. It's sort of like The Undertaker. Yeah, you don't like his WrestleMania 36 match. It was pretty... Or was, no, sorry, 34. Was it 34? Whatever. The Roman Reigns match. Was, I remember. It was really bad. And yeah. you're just kind of like, oh, come on. Let's let's get this guy another one. But please stop. Please stop. <laughs> yeah. Like, he deserved better. But, and, and it turned out just just call it whenever you want. Yeah. <laughs> just stop. You can just stop. Well, ladies and gentlemen out there, you can let us know what your favorite Die Hard movie is, your Die Hard rankings. Hey, we were talking about yeah, this thing Clinton. called Breadcrumbs. There might be a new series out there uh, called Franchised, which we go through franchises. If you want to see a Die Hard uh, franchise series, I mean, let us know. I'm down for we that. might do it. That might be the only way you can really you know, get us to talk about these films in a more full yeah full full glory and it's full aspect of all the films in one context where we'll probably just be really lazy and use this episode as the first episode because hey that's what we do <laughs> yeah that's what we do and also we've already done we've been it been podcasting so. for you <laughs> why would we do it again but yeah you can check that out at breadcrumbs pod on twitter and instagram you can find breadcrumbs our new series where me and phil are just talking a lot more trash somehow weirder than this episode uh, over there on all major podcasting platforms. As always, you can find me at Tall for All, T A L L, the number four, A L L, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And the podcast together as a whole at the PCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Or you can pop us an email at podcastofprincecharlescinema.com. And don't forget, patreon.com forward slash the PCC Podcast. We got a lot of fun things over there. If you're a $5 and up backer, you get a lot of free free episodes, bonus content. We're giving you a lot of content. Come on, guys. Pay us back. Just hook us up. $5 more a month. Get fun, extra yeah. episodes. There's a whole Fast and Furious series. The prototype for franchise. It's a great Christmas gift. Yes, it does. It makes a great Christmas gift. <laughs> uh, Phil, where can people find you? And what are you up to? Oh, man. I'm at Farwaknad in, in Twitter and on real life. Yeah and the dog that I met on the gram. I'm back at work. Back at work. I'm starting work tomorrow. I'm sliding into that. I want to try and take it easy this month. Yeah. I mean, because Christmas, I just want to walk around and enjoy the light. Yes. I want to finish up my Christmas shopping because I'm not quite done and it kind of stresses me out. I love, I like, I like getting stuff for people, but if I don't have like the right thing, it kind of stresses me out. Um, so I want to do that and just, you know, enjoy my time, watch a few Christmas movies. I've only seen these two now, but I want to go to the cinema and enjoy. I want to try and usher Die Hard, one of them, <laughs> at least. Yeah. So I can watch it like that again. Absolutely. Um, that's me. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I kind of want to get into that same path as well. I worked out a little bit of a holiday for myself around Christmas time, which means I'm staying at home and doing absolutely nothing. And I can't wait, which means actually a little bit of uh, work, uh, you know, like a little bit of housekeeping for the podcast. I will say before we close off here that uh, we are going to continue for the next couple of weeks with some Christmas episodes. Over on Patreon as well, myself and Ariane are going to have a fun little episode. Myself and Phil might drop in an extra bonus episode onto Patreon uh, in the next couple of weeks. We'll see how our schedule goes. And that will also probably a few days later drop into the main timeline as a bonus Christmas episode for everyone. But I will say that maybe the week between Christmas and New Year, 
and maybe even the first week of January, we might take a little wee break just so we can stretch our legs. Just a wee just break. Just a wee break. Because yeah. we've been grinding. My back is killing me. I have no support when I'm doing these podcasts. We've been grinding like so hard for eight months now. or almost nine. So yeah. hopefully you guys, and also just because we weren't doing any breaks before that either. So we've been grinding all year, really doing a lot of stuff for you guys. So uh, hopefully you guys are cool with that. We'll take a wee little break uh, and we'll be back the first couple weeks in January. So, like I said, maybe, maybe get a, an episode or two more, and uh, yeah, join while you can. Join while you can, and then we'll take a break. We'll all take a break. We, I think we all need time apart from each other. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all been spending way too much time with each other, yes. and you know what? It's just a little too much. It's just you know, let's just give it give it till next year. Just let it breathe. This year needs to end. Yeah, just let it breathe. Just you know, maybe stay at home. Yes. <laughs> okay, guys. We'll see you next time. And just remember, Die Hard is crispy. <laughs> it's a crispy movie. Die it's Hard crispy. is crispy. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yippee ki motherfucker. Oh. Mm. So what do you think is going on out there now? Uh, man, I don't know. There were so many interruptions while we were recording. There's that other dude named John running around. <laughs> That's really strange, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm I mean I'm pretty quiet now. Yeah. Uh let's let's go check it out. Holy shit, that other John really did a number on the terrorist. And this building, Jesus Christ, everything's on fire. Kaye, motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck, dude, that must be them. They're just laughing at each other. It's weird. Yeah. Maybe we should go help? I mean, they don't even notice us. We're like standing right here. We could just really. You know, we could just sneak up on that bad guy right there. Yeah. Still have that microphone on you? Let's rush him. Let's do it. Hey, man. Uh, sorry I was being so grumpy earlier. I just hate being squashed on planes. It's cool, dude. I just can't believe we made it to Grandma Chinese Theater. I didn't think we'd get out of there. I mean, the police were pretty mad at us. Yeah, I mean... I- I guess it wasn't cool that I hit the wrong guy with my microphone. Well, you know, at least the SWAT team finally arrived right then. Good timing. Anyway, uh, this was a silly day. And also, you know, sorry it's late and it's too dark to find these handprints. Um, I mean, maybe we should just come back sometime. But, you know, it's only a couple hours until our flight, so we gotta get to the airport. I don't need to find Kevin Smith's handprint. You're standing on him. Huh. <laughs> I am. How about that, man? Uh, it's really funny you decided to make it a mission to see Kevin Smith's handprints after we spent so long talking about Bruce Willis. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Phil. Merry Christmas, John. <laughs>